So we've been, we've been in a, a series for many, many weeks so, uh, so far on the Psalms and the life of prayer. Uh, as a community, we're wanting to band together for a long season of, of studying the Psalms, of studying God's presence among us, and hopefully by this time next year, I don't know when we'll end, I haven't decided yet, uh, but down the road, hopefully we'll all be able to say to ourselves and to one another, after this experience, I'm just a little bit better at praying. My prayer life has grown just a little bit. I've, um, I've matured just a little bit in praying. I've come closer to God. I've learned what it is to draw near to him. That's what we're here doing. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. If this is your first week, uh, don't worry. I think this is Sermon 8 of the series. It'll be 52 or something like that. I don't know. It'll be long. Um, mostly because I think if I just stand up here and keep on telling you to pray, it's got to make some sort of difference. Um, that's at least the hope. Uh, but in, in the process, um, if, you, yeah, if, you're, if you're new here, don't worry. Uh, I've, I've, I've done it in a way that if you're just jumping in, you don't have to go back and listen to all the previous seven sermons. I mean, they're all online if you want, but you don't have to go back and listen to them. I'm just sort of at every juncture here for new folks um, introducing you into the series. So you haven't really missed anything, so to speak, in that way. I'll catch you up each time. So we're talking about praying the Psalms. We've um, done a number of... Uh, we've looked at it in a number of different ways. We started out with talking about how humility and patience are key virtues when we come to the life of prayer. We need those. If we don't have humility or patience, uh, it's a non-starter. We try to enter into prayer without those things, and we get nowhere, really. Uh, mostly because, uh, as human beings, these virtues, these characteristics of humans are so important that God chooses to start working on them right away if we have them. So humi- or humility, patience, uh, we talked about how it's so important in the life of prayer just to get going. Just, you don't, there's, there's no right words to prayer. Uh, I was reading a book this week, and uh, the, the author was talking about the uh, kind of set written prayers, like the Lord's Prayer or Thomas Merton's Great Prayer. Lord, I do not see where I am going, uh, but uh, I even think the desire to desire you is prayer enough? That's Thomas Merton's great prayer. Or the serenity prayer. God, help me to accept the things that I cannot change and change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, these are set written prayers, the great, greatest hits of prayer, so to speak. But these kind of are like fine china, says this author. You know, like I, I pray them when I remember they're there and I have the willingness to go use them, which is like 7% of the time. And so, um, yeah, sometimes we get out the fine china of prayer and we say the right words and all that, but really prayer is far more like the everyday dishes that we have. We get them out of the cupboard every day and they're nothing spectacular. And uh, in the life of prayer, they're just uh, grunts almost and groans and bringing our anxieties up and giving words to to what's in our heart, to the the Lord who made us. So um, I've been saying, if you're going to get started in prayer, yeah, there's the good prayers I'm going to teach you in the months to come, the, the ways to pray. But we're starting out with just simple praying, just getting out your heart, uh, getting it out to God. And so, um, you know, get yourself praying. But also, if you're having a hard time doing that alone, if you have a hard time praying on your own, the best thing to do is find some people to pray with. Get praying with other people. Uh, find a, a friend, a spouse, a ch- uh, your, your child, uh, someone that you're, that you're close enough with to pray with, and get going with them. 
praying together is awesome. And uh, every Wednesday night here at 7.39, for those of you who can't make 7.30, that worked out for me this week. I was at a meeting and it ran late. And I got here right out of time, 7.39. For those of you who want to pray with others but don't have people to pray with, come on out. There's, uh, we have a prayer room in the back of the church and uh, every week, there's a group of people. I think last week we had eight or nine people uh, praying together. And it's a lovely time where we uh, start off by sharing what's on our heart, what, what, what's God speaking to us, what are the things we want prayer for, and then we spend about an hour praying together. It's, it's quite beautiful, and everyone is welcome. Um, so come on, on Wednesday nights. Um, so get yourself praying, pray with others, and then there's these beautiful little little snippets of promises in the, in the Bible. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's from the book of James. This is what we're talking about. Finding ways to, non, with not, not too much eloquence, in, inarticulate sometimes, drawing near to him. And the promises is that he will draw near to you. In the book of the Psalms, I've been uh, getting to just sort of devour the Psalms and think through the, the 150 Psalms in the Old Testament as a whole and get to see themes running across the whole book. I'm just loving getting to study the Psalms in this way. Um, but one of, the, one of the promises that you see over and over again is God is close to the brokenhearted. For those people who uh, realize that they're not in control of this world, they've, they need God so desperately. For those who, out of that posture of humility, will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And that's a promise we can hold on to very tightly. Um, but also, uh, Paul in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. I love this word, devote, because it takes a devotion to do it. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And last week, I, I gave the picture of Michelangelo's great painting on the, the top of the Sistine Chapel where God is stretching his finger out to create Adam, and Adam is kind of waking up, and his finger is like this. And I said, the life of prayer is like doing this. That's all it takes. Life of prayer is just stretching out your finger. God's as far as he's going to go to get us to pray, and he's asking us just for the little extra effort. And that's all it takes. And that's a devotion. So it's not, you know, I'm not asking you guys to become nuns or monks or move out and have hours and hours of prayer at a time. I'm just saying, get going in your life. Take your needs, take your anxieties, and turn them to prayer. Now, where we're at now is this, in the whole series. We're going to enter into about uh, five weeks talking about obstacles to prayer. Once we get going, once we get kind of our hearts decided to, to, to get on praying, we run into a number of major obstacles. <laughs> and we have to sort of get over them in order to get through them in order to have a rich and deep prayer life. And I like this picture because it's like, sometimes you might come up to a wall like this in praying and you're like, I don't have the time, I don't have the desire, I don't have the, the willingness or the right words. And my life is so full. How can I get over what seems like a glacier cliff of obstacle? Uh, but there is a way through these obstacles, and we're going to work through them. So when I talk about obstacles, I'm talking about um, if you don't think God resolves prayers, if you don't think God listens to them, or maybe you don't think God wants to even hear what you have to say in the midst of a world full of so much pain, that's a problem. You're not going to pray. If you think that, um, um, you know, that you kind of have it together, 
you know, that, that you've got it put together. You, you, you kind of have your life all figured out and you don't really need someone to help out. You're not going to pray. And I think this is, to me, one of the biggest ones. I was going to actually preach longer on this one today, but I decided just to sort of scale back and, and go at this in about three weeks' time. Um, but why is it when people are at their most vulnerable, when like they're in survival mode and it might be the end for them, why do most people pray? You know, like, why do most people throw up a Hail Mary when it's all on the line? And then, um, you know, I, you talk to even the, some of the staunchest atheists in the world, the people who don't believe in God. When it's all on the line, you, know, you see these sort of uh, scenes playing out in, the, in, in, in movies about war sometimes. It's there, you're in the battlefield, it's all on the line. You're not sure if you're going to make it. And someone decides for the first time, God, I'm not a prayer. I, don't, I haven't talked to you before, but I'm throwing a Hail Mary up now. Like, why, is, why is even that person willing to try to pray? when it's all on the line. But then we get our lives back into our lives where we feel comfortable and we feel like safe and a little more buffered. Why then do we stop praying? Now I'm not saying, <laughs> not saying we should always exist in survival mode, feeling like it's all gonna end. So therefore I'm gonna guilt you into sort of praying all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, how do we hold in our mind the belief that we're needy and dependent and vulnerable all the days of our life, every day, because that's it's true. I mean, look at the world around us. Humans spend a lot of time doing this, closing our eyes to the dangers around us. But we're needy, we're vulnerable. How do we stay that way in, in a healthy way? And if we don't feel like we're vulnerable, we're not going to pray. Um, and if you're convinced that God doesn't sort of um, doesn't hear you, He doesn't answer prayers, that's not how it works. He does whatever he wants. He's, he's not interested in us praying. Um, it's not going to happen either. So how do we, in our, in, you know, we're busy. I think we'll, we would all turn to that as the first surface level challenge. We're busy. We've got a lot going on. We're cluttered. That's the surface. But underneath here, there's some major belief structures which prevent us from praying. And so we're going to go at those uh, in the next coming weeks. Uh, we have a couple of guest speakers coming in the next couple of weeks talking about, uh, does God answer prayer? Does God actually resolve our wishes and desires? And uh, how do we get the habit of praying going in our life? Those will be really great ones. And then I'll jump back in after that to talk about this feeling of neediness. And, um, and then finally, where is God? That's in four weeks' time, I think. Where is God? And we ask that question, don't we? Not just, and it's a, it's a kind of a two-pronged question. Is God even here? Is he even, does he see us? Is he close? Is, does he live on Saturn maybe and every once in a while take a glimpse? And if we believe that, why would we pray? But if we think God is here and intimate and close and ready and willing to work with us, our prayer life will get engaged. So we'll talk about that, that question, where is God in terms of space, but also where is God when I need him? That's a time question. Where is, where is God when I need him? And we'll get to that too. And then, oh, just as a preview of, of coming attractions, that'll take us up to Christmas time. And what we're going to do is we're going to see just how Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon, they all wrote psalms of their own based upon the psalms of the Old Testament. As their hearts were praying 
uh, during that time. And that will, that will get us deeper into the heart of prayer, into the Psalms as well. And I'm really excited. I always love preaching at Christmas time because not only do we have the life of prayer before us, but Christmas time is a season of joy. And how do we bring ourselves to be joyful in the midst of so much pain in our life? And that Christmas time is always a time once again to revisit that. How do we remain joyful in the pain? Uh, so preview of coming attractions. But we're in now, we're in some of the big obstacles. And uh, I'm not going to go for too much further in there today other than to say um, I've got a psalm for us to dig into today together. And that shows us some of these things. So Psalm 118 we're going to go into Psalm 118. It's a, it's a really beautiful psalm. We're going to dig into it for a bit this morning. And then, um, then we're going to just finish off with a, a bit of, of prayer. So Psalm 118, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man, says the psalmist. Now this psalmist is um, a really cool uh, piece of writing. Um, it's part of the, the collection from Psalm 113 to 118. This is a little collection of psalms. And it's always bringing back to mind, surprise, surprise, the Egyptian exodus narrative. You, you remember that story way back in the Old Testament? God takes his people, and they were in suffering and slavery for hundreds of years. He hears their cry. He hears their prayers. Decides to act 400 years later. Okay. Thanks for that, God, right? 400 years later, he brings them out of slavery in a miraculous way. Their backs are up against the wall of the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh and his armies are coming down upon them, and there's no hope in sight. There's no route of escape. And they cry out to God, and Moses goes and takes his big staff and puts it on the, in the waters, and the Red Sea is parted, and a pathway is made, and they get across... And some of them want to come back. They get across, they get hungry, things aren't going as they want, and they look back and they think, well, there were watermelons back in Egypt. Forgetting that also that the Pharaoh could kill their baby sons anytime he wanted to. Um, and this is, this, this, these Psalms, 113 to 118, you can go home and read them. They're great Psalms. They, they remind Israel what happened way back then to so that when their backs are against the wall in their life, when they have no route of escape, when it seems like all is lost and things are going to just fall apart completely, that God will make a way and that um, he is very close. This is what is, you, you pray these psalms as you, um, in, in modern day uh, Judaism, you pray these psalms during the Passover. As you're remembering, uh, once again, the Seder, the Seder meal, some of you might have had one of those in, in, Jewish, in Jewish tradition. These psalms are prayed during the Seder meal and after. And so the, they call them the Egyptian praise psalms. Um, it's for someone who's been on the edge, hard-pressed, and who knows, who's come out of the other side of it, who knows and can testify and say, you know, it's so much better to put our trust in God than in any human being. Um, it's for someone who's choosing who chooses to worship in the middle of the mess. And I'll, I'll stress that as we go. They're, they're choosing in the middle of the mess to worship. They're going to say, he is my salvation. God is my everything. I would rather put my, my trust in God than in my degree. 
my education, my bank account, my family, my friends, my upcoming vacation. I don't know. What is it that you lean into and put your hope on and put your trust in? I would rather, the psalmist says, I would rather be pressed back against the wall and experience the salvation of the Lord, the freedom of the Lord, than to trust, put my trust anywhere else. Um, and so, as, as it is, this choosing to trust, the psalm begins with these famous words. So, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I preached on Psalm 116 a few weeks ago, and that's the great call and response. Um, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And you hear that over and over again. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And this is, like I said, this is a, this is a psalm of someone who's choosing to worship. We might look at that. We sing a song here sometimes at, at Grassroots, and it's, God, you are good. And we say it over and over. You are good, you are good, you are good to me. You are good, you are good, you are good to me. And I don't know how, you don't have to show of hands. We don't want to expose anyone. But how many people sing that song a bit cynical? Like, um, like if, if we just keep repeating these words, somehow we're going to believe this? You know, like, or maybe do you hold back on th- during, that, during those verses? You are good, you are good. No, I don't think he's good, so I'm, I'm holding back here. I'm not, I'm not shaming you for this. I, I struggle with this. I sit there and I go, can I sing these words again today? Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I, I can't quite go there. Um, but this, this is the great wisdom and the deep, uh, profound mystery of these psalms. These are people who know the pain of life just as much as we do, who understand how vulnerable that we can be just as much as we do. And they're choosing to say, to sort of repeat this and get it ingrained in their heart, not because somehow they're foolish and they need just a crutch, but because they know that the life of faith is so dependent upon us getting out of control and learning to trust in his goodness this isn't the psalm of this isn't the psalm of a of a naive person. This is a person who's uh, going to be able deeply to understand and say he is good, his love endures forever, and they've come to this not just naively as children, but they've grown up, they've gone through the pain, they've gone through the Red Sea, and they've grown up and they've opened their eyes as adults once again to this second childlikeness. His love endures forever. Um, this is the, that's the uh, effect of such psalms. And you'll see the testimony of the psalmist. You'll, you'll hear it. I mean, this person's gone through hell and back before they, or after, before they wrote this. So they go on. Out of my distress. See, this is not a person who's just naively walking through. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me in that distress and set me in a broad place. I was uh, cloistered in. I was pressed hard. But God, he did something, and out of that situation, the result of which put me in a place that I could breathe easy. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Ah, okay. 
a little bit of more of a window about what this looks like, what this experience was like. This person was being despised, hated, pressed on all sides. Maybe they were someone, I don't know, who was in a war and their enemies were circling them and they were, again, they were crying out their Hail Mary, you gotta save me and something happened and they're alive and they're living to tell it. But maybe this is the person also who's like, it was in the workplace and everyone there turned against them. Or they were part of a family who despised them and turned against them. Someone felt like they were alone and hated by the world. And they threw a Hail Mary up to God. And God rescued them and changed their situation. Uh, Open to me the gates of righteousness, the psalmist goes on. That I may enter through them. Oh, I should say that I've skipped about... Uh, seven verses. It's just more deep description of, of the pain. Uh, like, like bumblebees, they surrounded me. Like, um, like wolves, they, they, they packed around me. There's further descriptions. And at one point they said, and I felt in that moment like I was going to die, but all that happened was that God burned them up like a, a briar, like a thorn bush. And I love that because I think we can, we can probably translate that to northern Ontario. They were, they were attacking me, they were surrounding me, and they were burned up like a bunch of dry balsam. Like that, and they were gone. That's the, the import to our culture. Um, so then they go on. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Okay, what? what? They're telling us about a gate, a way through, getting through the obstacles. What's the way through it? Um, Different commentators think, well, it could be like the gates of the temple in Jerusalem. It could be the city. You know, you get this idea that this person may have been gone, they may have gone out to war and they were fighting against a king who was stronger in the world, world's eyes and better. And they felt small and insignificant. And yet they went out anyway to defend their, their people. And they went out and God went with them. Out of the city gates, God went with them. And somehow, even though their enemy was stronger and wiser and scarier, they prevailed. That God was with them. And now they're on their way back. And God is riding back with them. And all of the, the army is coming back into the gates of Jerusalem. That's how some commentators see it. But, I mean, think about it this way. I, I think I see it a bit differently. Um, open to me the gates of righteousness. That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The thankfulness. There's a key here. Thankfulness is like a gate to get through the obstacles. Finding, finding um, the, the thankfulness. I, I, I let you know that, that um, just 24 hours ago, we were thinking that this, this kid might have something that we were going to deal with for the rest of his life. It was a gland issue. Um, and in the moment, you know, I just had a little glimmer. I have a buddy whose son has the same issue. And he, he, that's a lot of health issues. There's a, it's a long road for folks with this particular gland issue, um, especially if they're born with it. And I went through just those moments of being like, is this some sort of joke? <laughs> like, this, is, this, this was our Hail Mary chance to have a last child in some ways. Is this a joke? You know, like, we go there, right? And, and I was thinking, it took me all night long. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. All night long I was thinking, well, okay, I'm coming to terms with this. We're going to, we're going to walk alongside of this beautiful boy, whatever the case. And um, 
you know, but I, I recognized in my heart, I could have I gone there. If, if, if that would have panned out in that direction, I could have gone there and I could have gotten super bitter. Is this some sort of joke, God? And we go there, right? That's our propensity. But also, I was thinking, I know the turn in my heart if I'm going to endure this. I've been through enough pain in my life um, that I know that the, the turn here is this. God, even if I have four days with this little boy, that's something. I, I, I got to see his face. He made it into the world. That, my friends, is the hardest turn in all the universe. Now, I don't have to make that turn. That pain is not mine. Some of you may have similar pain, and it's a long-term pain. I don't have any idea what that is for you or how that feels. But to be able to say, look, here's my life. It's not ideal. It's not, it hasn't turned out the way it should have. But I'm turning in thanksgiving. I'm not, I'm not pressuring anyone there. I'm not saying this is rushing. No one rushes to that turn. But that's the turn we make as people of God. And that's a gate. I thank you. Finding thankfulness in the midst of pain. And this person knows it. This psalmist knows it probably even way more than I do. Um, and then he goes on. And we'll recognize this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you. Give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. It's a heart that's not naively, but resolutely learning how to praise and thank God. And we need this in our life. We need this desperately. Um, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus talked about himself this way, and Paul talked about himself this way. Jesus told the parable, and at the end of the parable said, don't you realize that what I'm talking to you is that the... the uh, Stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He was quoting this verse. He was quoting this psalm because he would have loved and known this psalm. And he's like this. Okay, here's a bunch of rubble here. And the builders are building a house. And um, they're trying to figure out what's going to be the stone that creates the perfect angle that builds up the whole house. And everything, however you set this stone... The whole, the whole building is going to have its shape taken upon. So if the, if the stone is off like that, if it doesn't have the perfect angles, you're going to have a, a, a wall that eventually comes up this way. And so they're looking through the rubble of stones before they build the house going, all right, we're the builders of this place. Which is going to be the stone which gives shape to everything else? It's called the cornerstone. Um, and this psalmist way back in, in his day and age, before, before Jesus even would have loved this psalm, hundreds of years before this when it was written, uh, the point is this, you have a king who goes out to battle, and the king may not be the most glorious king or the strong king, or may not be the, the, the one that the world would fear the most, but they went out and with the Lord's help, with God's presence with us, I was able to defeat the enemy. The stone which the builders rejected, the king, the stone which the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The people of Israel looked to their king and they saw someone who the world was going to figure out how much more glory they had than they could ever imagine coming out of this little nation. That's, that's the image. That's the, the builders, they rejected this stone. It wasn't the right one. But you know what? It's become now the stone which shapes the whole thing. Uh, and then when Jesus and Paul and Peter, when they, 
when they hear this verse, they recognize about Jesus. Something about him is going to be the foundation on which the whole kingdom of God is built. Um, I don't know if you've, you've ever read this little book by Anne Lamott. It's called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. I would recommend it. She's a little more irreverent than I would go, <laughs> if you know Anne Lamott. Um, yeah, I'll just read a little bit. I think her, her prelude to prayer is just awesome. Um, I do not know much about God in prayer, but I have come to believe over the past 25 years that there's something to be said about keeping prayer simple. Help, thanks, wow. You may, in fact, be wondering what I even mean when I use the word prayer. It's certainly not what TV Christians mean. It's not for display purposes like plastic sushi or neon. Prayer is private, even when we pray with others. It is communication from the heart to that which surpasses understanding. Let's say it is communication from one's heart to God. Or if that is too triggering or ludicrous of a concept for you to the good, the force beyond that is beyond our comprehension, but that in our pain or supplication or relief, we don't need to define or have proof of or establish any contact with. Let's say it is what the Greeks called the really real, what lies within us, beyond the scrim of our values, positions, convictions, and wounds. Or let's say it's a cry from deep within life or love with capital L's. My friend Robin calls this God uh, the grandmothers. I call him Phil <laughs> because I, uh, uh, after a Mexican bracelet maker promised to write Philippians 4, 4 through 7 on my bracelet, uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7 being my favorite passage of scripture, but only got as far as Phil before having to dismantle his booth. <laughs> Phil is a great name for God. Or Howard. Um, some of you were taught to pray at bedtime with your parents. And when I spent the night at your houses as a young child, I heard all of you saying these terrifying words. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. What, wait? What did you say? I could die in my sleep? I'm only seven years old. I, I pray this prayer with my kids every night. I pray the Lord my soul to take. That so, so did not work for me, especially in a dark, strange home. Don't be taken, my soul. You leave my soul right here in my 50-pound body. Help. Sometimes the first time we pray, we cry out in the deepest desperation. God, help me. This is a great prayer, as we are then at our absolutely most degraded and isolated, which means we are nice and juicy with the consequences of our best thinking and are thus possibly teachable. Or I might be in one of my dangerously good moods and say casually, hey, hi person, me again, the princess. Thank you for my sobriety, my grandson, and my flowering pear tree. Or you might shout at the top of your lungs or whisper into your sleeve, I hate you, God. That is a prayer too, because it is real, it is truth. And maybe it is the first sincere thought you've had in months. My belief is that when you are telling the truth, 
You're close to God. If you say, God, I am exhausted and depressed beyond words, and I don't like you at all right now, and I recoil from most people who believe in you, that might be the most honest thing you've ever said. If you told me that you had said to God, it is all hopeless, and I don't have a clue if you exist, but I could use a hand, it would almost bring tears to my eyes, tears of pride in you, for the courage it takes to get real, really real. It would make me want to sit next to you at the dinner table. So prayer is our sometimes real selves trying to communicate with the real, with truth, with light, with God. It is us reaching out to be heard, hoping to be found by a light and warmth in the world instead of darkness and cold. Even mushrooms respond to light. I suppose they blink their little mushroomy eyes like the rest of us. I'll stop there. I read that to you because we're here at a crux of the series. We want to be able uh, to give our hearts to God. And we want to be able to get through the many obstacles which would prevent us from doing this. And prayer in the end doesn't look like bashing ourselves up against a glacier cliff over and over again so that we might get what we need. It's, that's a little piece of it. The bigger part of it is us drawing near to God so he could draw near to us. And psalmists like this one teach us what it looks like to choose to worship and to choose to pray and get through the pain and find a way where we're worshiping God, where we're drawing our heart close to him. And from now until the, oh, I forgot I gave that picture. I'll come back to that. Um, the Psalms, God's presence in life of prayer. Sometimes what we need, and I'm going to teach us this for the rest of the year just very slowly, in order for us to get through obstacles, in order for us to get this life of prayer going, we need the Psalms. We don't just sort of get a, get a good collection of them for our perusal every once in a while. We need the Psalms, and we need to learn to pray the Psalms. And you don't learn to pray a Psalm by rushing through it and learning a bunch of ancient Israelite culture, which you need if you're going to really understand them. But you, you learn how to pray the Psalms when you let its pain and its experience touch your pain and touch your experience. You go through them slowly and you find ways when you're full of joy to say, wow. When you're in deep need to say, help. When something has come through for you that may not have come through, thanks. It's simple. Wow, help, thanks. I love that. Thank you, Anne Lamont, for that. Um, but as we, as we learn to pray, and I'll get into praying the Psalms, I want to I teach you between now and Christmas, I want to teach you to pray the Psalms, to connect, to, what is it to connect the experience and the pain and the joy of the Psalms up to your experience and find yourselves transformed by that praying of the Psalms. It's really powerful. I'll, I'll leave you with one final story about that, and I'll tell it more later. When I was working on my PhD, which was probably the, the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I did in my life, um, was the time that my prayer life was the most profound and most rich. You'd think, well, you wouldn't have time to pray. You have all this to write, and you have a family to take care of, and God knows what. Um, but that was the time when my prayer life was most rich and most consistent, and it was because I was taking four or five verses of the Psalms every day and connecting them up with my pain and my anxiety and my worry. I needed it to grow deeper, and I needed the Psalms to get through lots of the obstacles that stand in front of us. So I'll teach you that in the coming weeks. What does it look like to link the Psalms up to our own experience? But I'll end with this today. 
Yeah, we'll end today with this. Uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. As a reminder to say, once again, to proclaim to the world around us that the stone that the builders rejected was the crucified, suffering Jesus, to whom God came close when he cried out in his time of need. When, when everyone was surrounding him, when people were hating him, maybe Jesus had this psalm also in his mind to, in order to get him through that time. To say, Jesus, God, you have become my salvation. And as Anne Lamott put it, um, oh, I wish I could find it real quickly here. It's so beautiful. She said, when Jesus was um, on the hook, she, yeah, she was talking about being on the hook. We put ourselves on the hook and we mess life up by getting too much in control of life. And we put God on the hook where he belongs. And she says, as Jesus was on the hook, on the cross itself, he cried out in, in, a, in a prayer to God who came close and drew near to him like a midwife in labor. That's how close God was in the midst of pain. Jesus has become our cornerstone, but not just any Jesus. To the Jesus who hung on the cross, who showed us that suffering and that the life of, um, the life of pain uh, would be the salvation of the world. And it would be through this experience we get, we'd, he would get through uh, the many obstacles that stood in front of him. Jesus became the cornerstone, and he knew that about himself. The thing which is most despised in all of the world becomes the rock on which God builds his kingdom. So more on that to come. But friends, as we uh, enter together further in and further up, I invite you now to, um, to consider what is it that uh, God is inspiring you to think today? What, is he, what has he touched you with? What are you going to walk away remembering today? What are your prayers? Uh, are they simple? Are they uh, profound? What, what do you have in your heart? Uh, my invitation to you is to bring them forward today. We've got uh, the communion to take. We have two more songs. It's a perfect opportunity for you to bring your heart to God in your seat, wherever you're sitting, to bring your prayers to him, to shoot some help me, thanks, or wows up to him, or for you to, um, to cry out with whatever you have on your heart. So friends, um, come up and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice as a symbol, as a reminder uh, that on this rock, on this cornerstone of Jesus' suffering, God has built his kingdom. And help it to touch yours. That's what we're doing here. So friends, the table is set here and everyone is welcome.